Ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Refractive Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny G. Today, I have with me Tim Olson. Tim is an author, educator, business owner, and a life coach. His understanding of father-child relationships was fostered through years of study, observation, and application as not only a teacher and principal, but as a coach to personal and business clients around the world, and in working with the National Fathering Ministry in both Minnesota and Ukraine. Tim is a master's of education from the University of Minnesota, a master's equivalency in learning disabilities, and certifications in business management and life coach training. And so I'm really happy to have you on the show with us today, Tim. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Johnny, for having me. Of course. When you and I crossed paths and I heard about um, your book and the topic, I really thought this was a valuable subject to talk about on a show like this. You know, this is a spirituality podcast and your work and expertise has a lot to do with, let's say, the role of fathers and men in society. And a lot of the focus of the work that I do with my coaching clients and the topics that I talk about on this show, it's about finding the role in life that feels authentic and nourishing and powerful for yourself and moving towards that. And I know growing up in Louisiana that there's a lot of people out there who become parents before they wanted to, before they they were prepared. And we can see the impact of people who um, unfortunately pass on the pain that they've absorbed to the next generation. So I think the idea of understanding the, the power of the role of men in our society and the role of the father and taking ownership and responsibility of that power. I think it's a really important spiritual topic and I'm excited to talk about it. You have a book that you are re-releasing and I wonder if you tell us a little bit about um, the title of the book and uh, maybe a high level summary of the subject matter. Sure, the book is called The Legacy of Absence and the subtitle really tells it all. It says, resolving the wounds from uninvolved fathers in individuals, families, and society. And uh, I wrote the book, or, or the idea of the book came to me as I was uh, working with mostly business owners as a life coach, a business life coach. And they were bringing up all of these issues around their business problems that they were having. And I realized uh, eventually that, wait a minute, these, business, these issues really are not rooted in business. They're rooted in the relationships. And uh, I was also working with a, uh, this fathering ministry that you listed. 
and learning more and more about what it means to be a father and the impact of that. Now, I, by that time, I was already a father and a grandfather, so I had had a lot of awareness and experience in, in that area. And, uh, but I kept learning more and more, and it blew me away how much I was learning. And uh, the executive director was my client at the time, but I eventually became a, a, a presenter myself in the organization because it was so meaningful to me. And uh, as I uh, combined these two, the business and the father uh, role material, uh, more and more started to come to light to me that these things really are connected. And so I wrote the book as a business book originally. And my editor at the time said to me, you know, this is more of a, a broader audience topic than business, so why don't you think of that as maybe your second book and do this as a, as a more general audience. And so that's what I ended up doing. But I do have um, material in there. I start off first chapter with a story from business and I revisit that along the way a number of times. But um, as I worked with these business owners, we would talk about the surrounding issues with their family and usually uh, an owner with his children coming into the business or with the children running the business and their father who may or may not still be in the business or, or not in the business. And what I realized is that when we addressed that problem or whatever problems were manifested there, that the business issues tended to take care of themselves. Hmm. And that's a pretty powerful thing. Now you'll hear that in family business, especially from all of the, the business gurus and so on who, who talk about this. And they focus more on the relationship within the whole family. But because of my experience and training in this, I've been able to say, you know, it's really more defined than that even. It really has to do much more with the father himself. Wow. So much so that I even make a comment in the introduction and on the back cover of the book that says that we can trace almost all, and there's evidence to this, we can trace almost all of the problems in society back to the root cause of fathers not being involved with their children. Mm. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement. That's a big statement, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I used to say all of the problems, and then I realized, well, no, there's always got to be some things that, <laughs> that don't quite fit. Um, so what I um, realized with that more and more was that um, there, there are aspects of our identity that are fulfilled by the father far more than just the mother. Um, each, each parent has different roles, which I think is obvious, uh, but they, they tend to be uh, in such a way that uh, they fit the general population. And there, again, there's always some people that don't quite fit. So, you know, keep that in mind when I, when I say this, that the mother's primary role is to provide a safe place, mm -hmm. the, the nest more or less. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot, of, a lot of women before they have children will say, well, no, I don't fit that. But then when they become mothers, then they, they start to, oh yeah, okay, I understand that now. And so it is to, to uh, provide a safe place, a nest, and uh, to nourish. They nourish and protect, 
and, uh, and raise their children in that way. And the primary role then of the father is to prepare the children to actually leave the nest. Now that might sound contrary, but it's not because they are, they're designed to work together uh, to provide the most ideal uh, setting for children. And uh, along with that, um, the, the father actually provides four primary areas of, of uh, uh, influence. All right. So he helps them develop confidence. Mother can do this too, but again, it's really designed. Everything we do shows that it's designed primarily come from the father. Confidence, self-esteem, maturity, and especially identity. And identity has to do with who we are and the fact that we are loved and we are accepted for who we are. And this, this identity is something that I have found out mm -hmm. is something that we all search for, to get from our fathers. Yeah. Or, or we get it from our fathers, even though as kids, we don't realize that's what we're getting. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the main source. But it is the main source and if we don't get it from the father because he's uninvolved in some way, physically gone or emotionally and, and psychologically, spiritually and so on, uninvolved with his kids, that we will continue to look for it the rest of our lives okay. in inappropriate ways mm -hmm. and find inappropriate answers. Yeah. Unless there's some kind of an intervention that helps us to resolve it. Now, for me, my dad was uh, at home. He, you know, he worked, but he was at home a lot, and he was part of the family. But he was not involved in my own life one to one. And that that uh, we have labeled that the passive father. The passive the, father. The passive father. Okay. This is a large group. I think this is, in fact, the biggest group of fathers. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to people about this definition they'll often say, oh, that was my dad. And they didn't have words for it before. So the, the word passive has been a very helpful thing for people to, to grab onto that one. Yeah. And yeah. so he was, he was there, but not involved in my own life. And so I too was having to search in, in ways. How do, how do I find my identity, who I am, mm -hmm. uh, without realizing that that primarily just means um, that I, I know who I am and I'm loved and accepted for that. Mm -hmm. I was a loving family. And so that, that was uh, pretty obvious, but again, not getting it from dad makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I was a dad, my kids were young. I was involved. Uh, I was, I attended a church, a small church, and there were uh, a handful of men who were really great dads mm -hmm. and they were role models for me. And that was, for me, that was the intervention. It wasn't a direct uh, intervention like you think of with uh, counselors and so on. It was just by me observing them, interacting with them and so on, where I started to realize, you know, these are, these are things that I want. Yeah. I want to be like them. Mm -hmm. And so mentoring and modeling is really a huge thing for men. In fact, uh, there's an author by... Uh, by the name of uh, Stu Weber, who wrote a book called The F uh, Four Pillars of a Man's Heart, mm -hmm. a big book. And he mentioned in there that uh, 
being a father has very little to do with with um, uh, um, hereditary heredity or or the fact that these are born from me. Uh, it has everything to do with being a father uh, by nurturing as a father to other people around us. Okay. And, and that was a that was a great thing to, to hear as well, because uh, it affected me then as a teacher and as a principal and, and in those various roles. I wonder if I can ask you, like, th th at that point where you were going to church and you encountered these men that you saw as good fathers, how old were you when you started this process of, um, let's say, transferring that role model status from your biological father to these surrogate fathers? That was uh, primarily, I would say, between ages of 25 and 30. That's okay. when it had the biggest impact. Okay, so now in the in the time of that experience, I'm I'm really curious about this. I think it's fascinating sure. because I think a lot of us go through this, but we don't mm -hmm. take the time to pick it apart and really look back and say, well, what was happening when I was around this role model or this this figure that impacted yes. my life? Um, I wonder, were you conscious of the fact that you were? maybe placing these men in this pseudo father position or is it something that you see clearly from hindsight but in the moment you weren't aware uh, i was aware of noticing them and the impact they had the influence they had on their kids and on other people they related to that was evident to me and i knew i wanted that so okay. i i tried to model after it Okay, so you can see after the fact today, you're like, okay, so this was the education experience I had that kind of almost like bumped me to, to start flowing in a different direction for myself. I saw this, I had influence from this group of people that kind of changed my path a bit. Yes, very much so. Then at the same time, uh, along with that question, I'd have to say that in, in um, working with the father ministry, that was when I started to consciously evaluate my own father mm. more and understand what was happening and my mother too, mm. and uh, start, start to really pick that apart and, and analyze it. And that's when I realized that my father was passive because my mother was very domineering. Okay. She was the dominant player. Mm -hmm. And she's the one who knew what was really going on in my life. Uh, yeah, but she was dominant in such a way that it made him be even more passive. Uh, as she was a decision maker. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that was that she had two characteristics uh, about her, her leadership that made that possible. And one of them was that uh, she was very performance-based, which okay. means how things look matters more than how things really are. Yeah. And so she would make that very common statement. Well, what were the neighbors think? Or what will the relatives think, you know, about my behavior, things that I would do and say, or how I would look. And we all do that. We are all, we are a performance-based society or a performance-based world. And so that's not unusual. However, some people take it to a certain extent that's rather extreme. And yeah. I believe that she did. So in addition to being performance-based, my mom was also very shame-based. Okay. And so... Not only did uh, things go, go wrong in terms of how I might look or behave, shame on you for doing it. And what we know about shame 
is that uh, it's, it's different from guilt. Guilt is a matter of my deciding what to do. Okay. And choosing what to do. I might choose to speed down the highway. Yeah. I might choose to, uh, uh, to say wrong things to people or to lie and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but that's a matter of choice. Shame, on the other hand, is about my character. It attacks who I am. Now, my dad is supposed to build up who I am through mm -hmm. identity, but, mm -hmm. but through shame, it tears you down. Okay. And she wasn't doing that intentionally. She believed that shame would change my behavior. But in reality, it just attacks me. And so uh, in the future, when the same thing happens, I haven't heard why it was wrong. I just knew that I was wrong for doing it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there's a, there's an element there that was, that was missing. So as I grew up, I realized that one of the things that I was missing was confidence. I w uh, ended up being very quiet. Now mm -hmm. that, that doesn't have to necessarily be uh, a negative, Right. But but I was uh, often very quiet just because I was too shamed to stand up and say something. Okay. I was I was too uh, immature to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that because my father was passive. And, and this is this happens. This is true. When the father is passive, the kids tend to be passive. OK, because you mentioned that that one of the four aspects of identity that comes from the father is confidence. Exactly. Right. Okay. And so when he didn't have confidence, I didn't have confidence. And so it took me many more years to develop confidence, self-esteem, maturity, and mm -hmm. my identity as to who I really felt I was. Okay. You, you, you have a significant part of this book, um, The Legacy of Absence, that talks about the father wound. And I wonder if you can explain that concept to us. The, the father wound is so evident when we do our work in places like uh, halfway houses, men coming out of prison and into society or out of uh, rehab. And they are uh, struggling with the very things that I've mentioned already, but they haven't been able to put their fingers on exactly what's happening there. Um, and what I've noticed is that these men absolutely and women absolutely hate their fathers. It's incredible. And we go through um, the, the process of trying to resolve some of that wound. But, but that wound is without the father being involved, uh, the wound is like having a hole in your heart with no bottom to it. And we we, uh, we all tend to want to have a father who, especially when we're growing up, who is our hero. And we soon learn that the dad isn't perfect enough to really be a hero. And yet yeah. that's the relationship that we want. And we learn and grow so much from that. And so in a way, uh, it's really a part of life that later on, we, we know how to deal with the struggles of life because of having an absent father. But the roots of so much of that is in that lacking relationship with that. And that's what we call the wound. Uh, in fact, now this, this uh, gets into the spiritual area quite a bit. And so uh, this may be a, be a surprise to a lot of people. But if you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, the very last chapter of the Old Testament, 
there's a there's a verse there that says that when Elijah come, which is a reference to to uh, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus coming in the New Testament, it says that uh, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or I will visit the earth with a curse. And we believe, uh, you know, all of the, the research and so on, the people I've connected to on all sides of this, this issue, believe that the curse is fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. And the way the wound shows up is in, without the father being involved, it shows up in poor health, poor education, poor finances, mm -hmm. more crime, uh, all of the negative aspects of life. That's why I said earlier that we can we can see that that uh, almost all of the issues of or, or the problems in society refer back to the the absent father, the uninvolved mm -hmm. father, mm -hmm. because without him there, all of these things tend to uh, become issues. Mm -hmm. there's, Go ahead. There's a there's a study that I refer to in my book, uh, who by by a, a doctor who evaluated three different settings, and what he was after was to discover what the pathological likelihood, or let me rephrase that, there would be the the likelihood of pathological behavior in the children in three different settings, mm -hmm. and one setting was a mother and father who um, are both present and both. Uh, working together to be good parents. And the pathologic, the likelihood of pathological behavior with their children is 5%. There's always the chance of, of kids uh, doing that. And uh, the second group was with mothers uh, who were the single parent. The father was not involved in the kids', kids lives. The likelihood of pathological behavior in those children jumped to 30%. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah. However, the, the third group was a father involved with the mother. I mean, I'm sorry, the father present with the mother and the children, but not really involved okay. and not That's a real strong that you're talking about, right? Exactly, passive. passive, but also not a very strong relationship between the mother and the father. Okay. So there's this conflict setting. The likelihood of pathological uh, behavior in those children jumped to 60%. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is fascinating. That's why I think that that group of pathological behavior is not only the biggest group of fathers, but it's also the most dangerous group. Mm -hmm. Wow. It can, it can be worse than having the father just not even involved. Well, that segues us really nicely to our next, our next topic, which, you know, I, I'm fascinated about how you wrap up the book talking about steps to move forward, right? So like, okay, so this is my situation. This is my background and my history. And so now what? Like, what do I have what I have? So now, yes. and you talk about mm -hmm. uh, the concept of accepting our imperfection. And from a spiritual perspective, this is big for me, right? Like I love, I, I mean, I have an, I have an episode uh, of my podcast titled Making Peace with Our Dark Side. So, you know, the idea of saying, here's my imperfect situation. And let's say the 
impact that I have psychologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually from my childhood. And so now what do I do? And so I wonder what advice and um, suggestions you might have for people who didn't have an ideal childhood of balance. And I think that's a key word that you mentioned earlier, having an ideal balanced childhood. How do you recommend they move forward other than, of course, traditional therapy and whatnot? Yes, that's a, a great question. And ultimately, the purpose of my book is reconciliation, uh, reconciling the relationship between any of us and our fathers and any of us and our children. And to your question really is, you know, how do you even come to that uh, point? And it, it takes a lot of uh, understanding in the first place. And so, for instance, with these men who hate their fathers, it's like, what, what an ideal place to start and say, <laughs> how, how do you get from here to there? Yeah. <clears throat> and one of the statements that uh, we typically make is that your future success is tied to your relationship with your father. And if you think about that for a while, it's going to force you to say, wow, I want to be successful in the future in various aspects of life. I evidently I'm going to have to approach this and do something about it. If you don't address it, there, there's a great quote that says, if we do not intentionally approach the issues in our lives, we will most assuredly pass them on to the next generation. And so that's another thing. Do I want this to go on or not? Right. When, uh, uh, do I have time to throw in a short story? Yeah, go ahead. When my oldest son was about 13 years old, my folks came up from Chicago to Minneapolis to visit us. And I thought I had a great idea. We both played music instruments, my son and I. Why don't we play a duet for them? And can't what wait. a nice can't thing to do. <laughs> my son said, or my son, of course, is 13. How, how interested are they in doing something like that? Not very. <laughs> and so uh, uh, there, my folks were sitting there and we were setting up and my son just was not cooperating very well. And finally, I just kind of had enough of it. And I nudged him with my elbow and I just said, why don't you just forget it and go in your room? And my, I was kind of exasperated. So he did. He was glad to do it. <laughs> and my folks were sitting there. I turned around and I was really embarrassed because I work with kids of that age all day long, 250, 300 kids a day. And I was known for being quite good at it. And I apologized to them. And my mom justified what had just happened. She said, well, you know, what you did is just who, part of who you are because your dad is just like that. He's sitting right there and he agreed. It's this, this uh, temper that flares and it's kind of like a temper tantrum in a way is, I think, a good way to describe it. But it's part of anger. And uh, she said, not only that, but his father was worse than he is. And his father was even worse yet. And so what what happened in my mind was this immediate uh, realization or understanding 
of another verse from the Bible that says the sins of the fathers will be visited on their children to the third generation. And of course, it keeps on going longer than that because the, the, uh, the sin keeps getting repeated. And so uh, I always thought that that verse had to do with things from the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, uh, uh, adultery and, and murder and things like that. And I hadn't been doing any, done any of those. But then I realized, wait a minute, this also is not from God. So it can't be a good thing. And so I said, uh, excuse myself from them. I said, I have to go and see my son for a moment here. And I went into him and I said, Dave, I want to, I need to uh, talk to you for a minute and ask your forgiveness for two things. I said, the first thing is what just happened out there wasn't your fault. It was mine. And so would you please forgive me for treating you the way I did? Yeah. Fortunately, he said, yeah. He said, yes, that'd be okay. Then I said, the other thing is, what just happened out there is a generational problem. And I explained to him what my mom just described to me. And I had known about that before, but it just became very vivid to me. Yeah. And so I said, I described that to him. And I said, the reason I need to ask your forgiveness for something else is I can see that I have, am already passing this on to you. And I am really sorry about that. And he, again, knew exactly what I was talking about because he saw it in himself. And I said, would you please forgive me for that? And he was glad to do that because he didn't want to have any part of it. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, with God's help, with mom's help, with my help and your help, would you be willing to work with me on this to resolve this issue? And he said, yes, because again, he didn't want it. Yeah. And I have to tell you, he's 55 today. And he's one of the, the gentlest men I know. Uh, he now, that issue will still flare up in both of us from time to time. Mm -hmm. We are all imperfect. We're all you know, struggling with these things. But it changed both of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, again, to answer your question, it's, it's a matter of understanding how these things impact and a willingness to, to kind of bear ourselves yes. and address them. And going to our fathers or going to our children as a part of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. the, one of the main steps in reconciliation is forgiveness. Yeah. And we might say, well, uh, uh, let me throw this in. If, if um, people go to my website, they will get, they can get a document, a free document that I put together that is called uh, Getting Back uh, with Dad. Okay. The whys, the benefits, and the excuses. Mm -hmm. And things that we all go through. But we need to we need to evaluate those things before we are willing to forgive and take the steps of reconciliation, which aren't in that document, but they are in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, so we are not um, typically ready to forgive. And, and I describe why and how that all works mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. So have I uh, addressed your, your question? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, there's so many thoughts that come to mind that we won't have time to talk about everything from spiritual <laughs> bypass and, you know, yes. and all of that. But what I what I hear you saying is uh, perfectly in in step with what I hear so many spiritual teachers throughout history say, which is, you know, when something is weighing you down, whether it's your own character, uh, <clears throat> 
traits, whether it is life and situations, um, the way to heal is to sit with it as long as you can, right? To just sit with it, be with it, acknowledge it, become one with it, recognize it and let it do what it needs to do in a safe, protected space, which is time you've set aside to feel the feelings and have the thoughts and all of that. And uh, rather than what I tend to do, I don't know about you, Tim, but like, which is let's watch another episode of the show or let's go quiet this down with some food or let's go do some online shopping to just numb it, numb it instead of actually sitting with it. So that's what I hear your suggestion of when you have these these imperfections, as you call them in the book, when you have this legacy of imperfection to walk up to it, shake its hand, sit down with it, and just get to know it as well as you can. Yes. In fact, uh, I'm re-releasing my book uh, with coaching questions at the end of each chapter Mm -hmm. to help us, to help readers, not just to say, well, that was an interesting chapter. Let's read the next one, but be uh, drawn to go a little deeper. Yeah. Good. And so let's say the listeners today have really resonated with your message and uh, the topics we've discussed. How can they learn more about you, the work you've done, uh, the services and tools that you offer? Uh, Yes, my website is uh, timolsonauthor.com. And Olson is O-L-S-O-N, not E-N. Okay. And so that's one place. Uh, They can also get my book. They can go on Amazon to get that. And uh, from time to time, and I do have free e- uh, ebook downloads. And uh, the book is the legacy a, of absence, right? The, the legacy, legacy of, absence. of absence. Okay. Resolving the wounds from uninvolved fathers, and uh, that's in paperback or in ebook. And um, the father ministry might be of interest also to some people. And that's dadsfirst.org. That's a good and, website, I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a great URL. Yeah. Dad's first came from a fuller statement of dad's first responsibilities to the family. Okay. And we shortened it to dad's first. Mm-hmm. And that's really the street name, we call it, of the National Fathering Ministry. And uh, <clears throat> so those are basically the resources that I have. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing the years of observation and experience, the insights that you develop from your own past, the work you've done with other people. Um, I really think that uh, I think that this is such a valuable topic. I know that not all of my listeners will uh, will agree with everything that you've said. I know that there's a lot of um you know, uh, divine feminine, divine masculine, uh, you know, uh, gender identity uh, things that we we did not go into. We don't have the time right. to go right. in, in into those those levels. Um, but I think that just because other aspects may also be true doesn't mean that this aspect is not true. And I think that it's it's worth digging into. It's worth absorbing. It's worth finding the space where. Uh, uh, where your experience can bring value to someone else. So thank you for sharing that today. You're welcome. Thank you for your perspective as well. Absolutely. Everyone, it was great to have you tune in again to another episode of Refractive. And as always, as you go out into the world today, remember to aim your light. Take care. You've been listening to Refractive Podcast, and this is Johnny G. 
If you found today's content uplifting, if you think it might make somebody's day better, give it a share on social media, click like, subscribe. All those things help to expand this podcast availability to new audiences. I'm a speaker, a coach, and a facilitator based out of Washington, D.C., but I travel a lot. If you think I can be of service to you or to your organization, help people get unstuck or move into their authentic power, shoot me an email. My email address is refractivepodcast at gmail.com. Take care. Thanks for listening and aim your light.